You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. What are you two complaining about? We gotta watch this movie like that. Oh, we're we're about. I believe you have not seen that movie. All right, let's save it for the end, boys. I have no idea what episode number this is. We're so unprofessional already, but that's what you've come to know and love about this show. My name is Chris Spangle. You're listening to We Are Libertarians. We're going to talk about my trip to L.A. I went to L.A. for the first time, and it was a third world country. So we're going to take a look at why, and some of the numbers are staggering. Harry went to a Libertarian Festival. We'll ask him about that. And uh, Reinhold's here, so you'll be pissed. All right, stay tuned. Warning, this show is for adults, produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Hello, everybody. It's so nice to be with you. It's been a couple weeks since we've been here. As you can probably tell, my voice is a little weak. Not sure what's up with that. I don't have my uh, my normal, beautiful tones. So we're doing four hours a night. We're going to blow out your voice. Right, exactly. I won't be able to speak. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so I am here with Harry Price. Harry, how are you? Going good, going good. Nice to see you. I nice see you too. These, we always have these long. Just turn this off. Uh, we always have these long extended breaks now from each other. I don't like it. It's weird. Yeah. Um, I find myself on Tuesdays just ranting into a mirror, <laughs> <laughs> nude, shaking your fists. <laughs> Ooh, this has been real good to say, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Reinhold is also here. Reinhold, how are you? I am doing well. So I've had quite the experience over the uh, the last few weeks. We'll we'll kind of jump right into it. No foreplay tonight. No. Getting right into it uh, because there's a little, you know, a my voice isn't great, but I also want to record a bonus episode tonight. Because I want to take you behind the scenes of the Joe Rogan podcast. So uh, now, for those of you who don't know, I uh, hate James Neese, who is on the chat saying change the boomer material. Um, I don't know how you work with Neese. He has to be. Does he drive you crazy? Only these, these well, weeks while he was banned. Why these is last? He, yeah. two- why is he on the chat? Is because he's not no, in in no. doing his thing. Well, yeah, because you know it's not working. Uh, hopefully he's at home, but uh, he's also got banned. He's been banned for three days for the the game that we play a lot in the Discord. Did he say the word that you can say that I can't? I, I don't know what word he said. Um, actually, I believe the email he said he that they were he was feeding. He was feeding. <laughs> he's something else. Um, now, uh, for those of you who don't know, I have another podcast that I am on now. I know, just what I need, right, Reinhold? Another <laughs> podcast, uh, and it's a comedy podcast, and it's called The Pat Down, and it is with maybe the funniest person on the planet. Her name is Miss Pat. 
Uh, if you don't know Miss Pat, you will. She is going to be uber famous uh, between her work ethic. She used to be a crack dealer in Atlanta. Her book, Rabbit, is one of the best books I've ever read. I mean, I read it in like two hours, and I'm a slow reader. Uh, and, and she basically went from uh, El- Atlanta, in the slums of Atlanta, to my hometown in Plainfield, Indiana. And where I grew up was 98% white. Uh, now, Abdul and Harry, in that order, are my two first black friends, and really my first experiences dealing uh, dealing with mm. uh, talking to <laughs> black people. Have to deal. I know, and deal. Uh, but I've never ever interacted with someone like Miss Pat, who mm. grew up in a way that I did not grow up. Harry is bougier than I am, so I, I doubt that. You, you tell me about the black experience, but honestly, I think I'm more black than you. Wow, that's just. I doubt that. No, I don't. I don't. Reinhold, would you care to settle this? Um, I think it's probably a tie. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I toss it up. And, I just got to understand. My wife comes from a family that was in. You know, her her mother married a gentleman from Hallville, mm-hmm. the black guy, and her family. That family is so fun and loud and boisterous, right. and um, they don't hold anything back. Yeah. And that's what it was like going to Miss Pat's house for the first time. You know, I, I was just like, look at Dion. I was like, are they all, are all households like this? He's like, no, no, this is a special <laughs> kind of different. Um, but I, I am uh, super proud and honored to be like, I, she knew I had the equipment. <laughs> so she invited me out to help her record it. And she's like, are you going to be my co-host? And I go, oh, yeah, okay. And so she and I know her through Bob and Tom, and we've we've talked for years and always gotten along really well. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of an interesting dynamic, her coming from a place where she didn't know any white people, moving to a place where there are no black people, that I grew up where there are no black people, and I didn't... I didn't. So it, it's, it's her and I and our other co-host, Dion Curry, talking a lot about race, abortion, same-sex marriage today. Um, but con- it's like the funniest podcast you've probably ever heard in your life. Uh, it, it was actually, it hit, what, what did it chart number at? Four. It was number four on the yeah. comedy charts. And I think it was top 10 on the mm-hmm. all around charts yep. because Miss Pat went on Joe Rogan. So if mm-hmm. you go to your Rogan feed and you see Miss Pat, that's the co that's the main host on the, on the podcast that I'm on. And it's the funniest thing you've ever heard. Like she's just I mean, Harry, I don't know if you've seen Miss Pat, but you're definitely familiar with her from yeah. the Bob and Tom show. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I really enjoy the content, especially because you don't really feel how I I think I don't understand how white you are until I put you next to someone puts you next to Miss <laughs> Pat. It's like, wow. That's one white boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and she's proper funny and not like pretend funny. Like yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. No, Miss Pat is a great writer yeah. and just a funny person all around. And she she'll call me. We'll talk for twenty minutes a day, and it's just hilarious. Yeah, it makes me feel like like I've got no comedy timing. Uh, I suck at, at all, every time I attempt any type of humor. <laughs> uh, I can attest to that. Uh, yeah. yeah, so many people who go and watch, you know. Stand with comedians and go. Oh, I can do that. I get up. They get up there and try it on open mic night and just realize, no, you. you well, can't. with my decade of <laughs> podcasting and Dion's done comedy, I think for like ten years. Miss Pat's done comedy for fifteen. You know, it, it's it's we have good chemistry and, mm-hmm. and good timing. 
Somebody tweeted at us, uh, listening to the Pat Down podcast the last few weeks. Chris, I love how white you are. I mean, I'm white, but you are the whitest. <laughs> um, so she actually said about me on Rogan, she goes, I got this white boy, Chris. He's not racist. He's just naive. <laughs> uh, so she's like, we, we teach him about black people. Uh, so it was a surreal experience to like hear your hear someone talk about you on the Joe Rogan experience. Um, I'm going to do, we're going to, after we finish this one, do a bonus episode for the patrons, and I'll tell you all the behind the scenes. Um, a good broadcaster would probably put it on the free side, but a good businessman puts it behind the paywall. So Ooh. if you want to hear it, you this need to the, go. This is the tea. That's right. You need to go join our Patreon and, uh, and join us there. And we are so appreciative of everybody who is in our Patreon. You guys keep the bills going. I just rolled out something called the Libertarian Aurora which is a brand new daily email newsletter that you can get at libertarianaurora.com or you can go find it under the newsletter tab on wearelibertarians.com. And it's a daily summation of a bunch of emails. And so uh, I have a service that I'm using to kind of compile some of this stuff and that costs money. And so we were able to do this new email newsletter, a daily email newsletter, because of our patrons like our $100 a month contributors, uh, intern Ed Brehob, Christy Avery, Craig DaCosta, Jason Doolittle, and the Libertarian Coalition. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate you being uh, $100 a month contributors and all of our patrons. Uh, so please join our Patreon and you'll be able to listen to that exclusive content that you can only get behind the paywall. Um, so it was just a very real surreal experience to like go meet Joe Rogan, be there uh, we'll talk a little bit about it but that required me flying to la now i have never been to la have you guys been to la i've been to la several times just lax that's it i've been okay. to san francisco and all through that you know the poop apocalypse which is san francisco <laughs> okay uh, i'm gonna ask you about san francisco because <laughs> here's the thing that i want listeners to understand you hear the stories or in passing you hear the jokes and the memes about san francisco and california and it's a third world country it's another thing when you get there. When you're driving around a town in California or, or like L.A., it, L.A. was the most beautiful, weirdest, in some ways libertarian city. It doesn't seem like there's any code, any zoning regulations whatsoever. <laughs> uh, and then like armed security everywhere because everybody knows the police can't protect them. I mean... <laughs> It, it, here's the thing. You don't want the police protecting you out there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially if you're Everybody, a little darker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so libertarian paradise is... That makes sense. Mad Max. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, Somalia. Venice Beach. Oh, just that is just like hippie central here's how broke, headquarters for Here's me. how broke that California is. I'm on Venice Beach, and there's a pot dispensary that's closed up and out of business. <laughs> I go, how the hell do you fail at running a pot business? Damn. I think that was one of the first ones, too. I, remember, I know which one you're talking about. I didn't know it was closed. Yet, but it's, <laughs> I remember seeing that there when I was out there 20 years ago. Kind of like on a corner? Yeah. Yeah, there was right a, on the beach. Yeah, there was a guy with a karaoke machine. You had to have a doctor's prescription to get in there and get anything at the time. <clears throat> you don't anymore, but I mean, at the time, you had to have a... Doctor's prescription for glaucoma or some right. other thing. I, I got the headaches. Approved. So I land in L.A. on a Monday morning. I get up at like 5 my time to L.A. time. Mm -hmm. And I fly in and it's like 8 a.m. And I get I get off the plane at 8 a.m. And I'm like, well, I can't check in until 1230. Now what? And I was never more productive. Jeremiah, the boss hog of Liberty, goes, I'm never more productive than I am in L.A. And it's true. Like I was up from 2 to 10 that day. And then from... 
3 to midnight, 3 to mm-hmm. 1 a.m. the next day. I got so much done. Like, the second day I was there, it was like I had gone to the beach. I had exercised. I had gone to breakfast. I had done all my work. I had done some wall stuff. And then it was like 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so that first day, I just decided to get a car. I'm like, whenever I travel and I go to a place like this, I like to rent a car, and then I like to drive around mm. just so I can see the different areas because you know the touristy areas, but I want to see what a city's really like. You know, I really want to know what a Philadelphia or a Boston is really like. And so I did that with L.A., and I get in the car, and I go over to Venice Beach, and I walk around there, mm-hmm. see Muscle Beach, and that was, that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, drive up to Malibu on the what Pacific Coast Highway yeah. or whatever that road is. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's like you're you're on the beach and then you look up and there's a giant mountain to the right. Mm-hmm. You know, and LA is crazy because you go from beach to mountain to valley to beach and then there's like cities everywhere. It's not like New York City. If you've been to Manhattan, like that's just one big ass city. And even here in Indianapolis, it's it's like very spread out here. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like there's a city in the middle, and then there's houses out or in rings around it, and it's just kind of like contained. You know, there's like there's the beginning of the city on the edge of Greenwood, and then you go to Carmel, and then there's no more city. But between then and there, but in California, it was like out. it was like you drive, and then you go over a mountain, and then there's like another city, but it's all L.A. still. So it's just the topography was really crazy, and so I drove up to Malibu. And uh, then I got onto Sunset Boulevard, and I drove down Sunset Boulevard into uh, into Malibu, kind of checking that out. And then I ended up in Brentwood on the 25th <laughs> anniversary of OJ killing his wife. So obviously, I need to go see where OJ lived. It's uh, the 25th anniversary. I I watched I've watched all the documentaries, the TV shows. Like wait uh, wait 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 wait. He was innocent. <laughs> yeah. He was found, allegedly he, killed his he wife. Was, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, he's, he, he was not found not guilty in a court of law. Have you guys seen his Thanks Twitter yet? Thanks, <laughs> oh, he's got yeah. He's got a. He's on Twitter now. It's it's hilarious. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm yeah. fascinated. I just you know. And now you're going to hear from me, not from people pretending to be me or telling you what I think. This is going to be me telling you this stuff. OJ to me is just like a fascinating character, and I think it's because I was a I was in like what what how old were we when that happened? That was ninety four. So that was like fourth, fourth grade. grade. Yeah. yeah. So you're kind of in a formative age and you're old mm-hmm. enough to understand what's going on. They rolled the TV in during the verdict in my elementary school lunch and we watched the verdict. Mm-hmm. I yeah. watched the uh, the chase, the, yeah. the, the Bronco chase. Yeah. We watched it uh, in a nightclub after a friend of mine's comedy show. Um, he, came, he comes into town once, like once a year. He used to. And we'd go play golf and do stuff and then go to the shows. Right. And it was after that show, we're all in the bar watching it on the TV. And it's just like. <sighs> uh, I was in Florida. I mean, I know exactly what we were going to see a movie and we had stopped by a friend's condo and we're like watching the chase. My dad's like, I don't want to go to the movie. I want to watch what happens to this. <laughs> and you watch the ESPN documentary and you just realize like as an adult, I watched it and I go, oh, he was guilty as hell. But when you're younger and you don't know a lot, like you, you don't know, it's 50-50. But I was riveted by it. You set up, okay, <laughs> but, by the LAPD? Right. right. By a racist LAPD Mark Furman. And so you, <laughs> you watch these documentaries and all this stuff, and then to go to where he lived, the street is like minuscule. Like there is, it's a two lane street. You, I don't know how all those reporters and everybody were on that street because it was so damn narrow. It was amazing. 
Uh, but his his Twitter is crazy. He's such a weird. He's like he just has this way of talking where he's just so jovial and he's everything's great. But I'm going to tell you these what put that back over there. Why? So people people won't read my credit card on the the last four digits are actually the ones that you really want to get the first. F- Eight or the ones are easy to guess. So I had put it, my phone face down where my credit cards were face up in front of the camera, and Harry's like, "But it's 480 on YouTube, so it's trust me, you're not seeing anything." <laughs> okay, um, hey, you'd be surprised. So, <laughs> uh, I have nothing to steal. So he he just has this OJ has this way of talking where it's just like most of these narcissists they you know I'm just telling you exactly I'm I'm gonna prevent it and I'm being real be, with you I'm a, yeah and he's just being fake as hell he's like you know I just want you to know he was never my manager I don't know what he's talking about I'd probably kill him too if I had the chance but I'm just your friendly neighborhood OJ coming to you live like you watch it you just I'm just what a freak well he wrote a book. Saying yeah. I didn't do it. If I did, but if it. I did, this is how it went down. And if how I, I would have planned it. and everything else, and it's all exactly <laughs> what happened. And and he did it with Judith Regan, who was this huge book publisher. <laughs> and then they do a sit down telev- television special where he sits in a chair across from her and she interviews him. And he basically outlines like, now listen, I didn't kill Nicole. I love Nicole. But if I killed Nicole, this is how I'd do it. And then he goes step by step in how he would kill his wife. And as you're listening to this, and watch, I'm watching the special, I'm going, this is a confession tape. And that's why Fox well, didn't put it out originally. They put, put, yeah. put it out like a well, couple years ago. What I understand is he, he's, he can't get caught for double jeopardy anymore. Right. He's been, he, he, did the, he was found not guilty in the state level. Mm-hmm. He was, he went, got, they went after him for... Uh, civil damages, right? And then he had it's to pay terrible. civil damages, it's so he, he can't be tried for it. Why not just come out and say, "Hey, that, mm. you know," he might because well. OJ more than anything wants people to like him. His reputation is the most important thing in the world to him, and and it's just very clear. You watch the He's, long ESPN documentary about him. It's one of the best documentaries here, ever. Here's the thing. Everybody already assumes he did it. Right. Well, he doesn't think that. Though. And everyone. And just look at that. what's going on with Trump. Trump says he could kill somebody on the street and yeah. everybody would still love him. And he's probably true. No, it's true. So it's he, true. He would Trust be me, the I've same been arguing him. with people that children actually do be- need blankets and bathrooms. Uh, and Seems then I have simple thing. I have Republicans yeah. saying no. I'm, yeah, Larry Bird could probably run over somebody in the street, and they would probably are, apologize for being Larry Bird's way. Right. I'm sorry, Mister Bird. Are, right. are we going to name names on that? No. Oh, yeah. Alleged. What? No, I'll talk about that later. Okay. I, I will right. say though, if you, um, I think it's two ninety four. Is the episode 294, 294 yeah. is the uh, border episode that we did last year. Yeah. Harry and I basically, we, we did hours and hours, I mean, dozens of hours of research into the show, basically going to every source we could find, trying to figure out exactly what was happening on the border and why it was happening and the laws. And, and we put together a really, really good show. And it's a long show, but it, it explains everything that's happening at the border. And I would... I would go back and listen to that because we're going to be talking about that subject next week. Um, I'm I'm still too pissed to talk about it, so we didn't do it tonight. Well, and also the show notes for that show are, are, are tremendous. Extensive. Yeah, tremendous. Nice. The biggest show notes you've ever seen. Ever. Uh, so t- episode 294, I'll put it in the show notes for this episode, but go and listen to that before you listen to the next episode. Uh, it's It's getting a tremendous amount of downloads right now because... What, what we have heard from people over the last few days as we've reshared it 
is this is the most fair breakdown I've, I've, I've heard. It, it tells you the truth, and we give it to both sides, and we give credit to both sides. And we just tried to figure out exactly what was going on and look at the facts as they are. Uh, I wrote an article today at wearelibertarians.com that I'll also put in the show notes that basically says, hey, here's the this. Go listen to it. Here's an update of what's happened. Here's kind of what I think of it. Um, I personally think, and I know we're way off topic, but um, I, we'll, we'll talk more about it next week, but I personally think that we're, we're completely bathing in hyperbole all the time. And we don't trust anything that's in front of our eyes. But if you actually go and read that New York Tar- Times article that has the word stench in it, or you go listen to the WBUR interview with the women who are the subject of that um, that New York Times article, and you hear their stories, and you hear from medical doctors, which I will put this in the show notes so you can get caught up for next week. We'll, we'll play a lot of those interviews actually next week. Um, because I think you need to hear the firsthand sources of what's happening in your name, on your dime, at the border, I think it's one of the most morally reprehensible things I've ever heard in my life. Like, you can be, you can agree with Donald Trump on immigration and still think that these kids should be allowed to poop in a bathroom or that babies should be allowed to be nursed by their mothers and not 12 year old girls. Or just not die. Or just yes. not die. There's been six deaths in September in like these detention centers. So we'll, we'll kind of explain why there's an uptick, what's happening in more depth next week but i just want you if this is on your mind and you're thinking about it and you're kind of like all right i see this point of view see that point of view a lot of those things still apply and we're going to talk more about less about the legal aspect and more about the moral aspect next week but really what these this episode and that episode kind of go together because i think there's uh, some signs of serious signs of decay in our society and I think there's some serious signs that we are heading to a very, possibly to a very dark place if we don't turn some things around. Um, and, you know, when you have a major city like L.A., as I drove around, I drove up into Brentwood and then into Bel Air and then into Beverly Hills. And so my first experience with L.A. was Venice Beach, which is a shithole. It's a shithole third world country. And as I went to go see the bodybuilding mecca, that's why it's a shithole, Reinhold. I know you're a leftist, but um, as I drove through Venice and I get around the bodybuilding mecca, like you go down side streets in Venice and there are permanent tents set up. The homeless problem in L.A. is worse than you hear on TV. As I I drove, it isn't up in Brentwood or Malibu or... But once you get into kind of Hollywood, they keep they keep the homeless kind of well, at bay there a little bit. But then you drive down into Middletown, or you drive down, you know, into Venice, then or downtown. That's when, or any freeway, any freeway yeah, underpass. Oof. That's when you really start to see how bad the homeless problem is in L.A. On the desert, if you go out to the desert areas, there's tent cities right now for homeless people. Yeah, and. The beaches. It's just like everybody talks about how great the economy is. I'm like, the the economy is not that great. It's just people are falling off of being counted and noticed and and existing within their society these days. And so as you drive through L.A., I mean, it's here's how I would describe what I saw. Everybody has that part of town that is stuck in 1970. Like for us, it's Pendleton Pike. If you drive up Pendleton Pike, it looks like it's stuck in 1970. 
And imagine Pendleton Pike. Right. Imagine Pendleton Pike, and it's like 150 little Pendleton Pike cities with a lot of homeless people and way more trash. Mm -hmm. And then, like, the Carmel Palladium, which is a giant stone opera house here in in the richest city in, in, in the area called Carmel. These Palladium, these palatial estates... $30 $30 million homes surrounded by high garden walls. Like everybody had a gate. Everybody had security. Everybody like not just the mansions had, had gates. Your average home has gates, bars on the windows. It's just a very eerie place to be because you go from complete luxury wealth, Rodeo drive and you go three blocks South and it's, crushing poverty mm-hmm. yeah and it makes you wonder it makes and it lets you know that this is why all these people from california always talk about wealth inequality so much because there it, it is blatant in their face yeah. versus you know the rich people here in the midwest who has the kind and see you know the kind decency to go out in the suburbs and put themselves you know put acres between us and them well what's funny is that those houses you're talking about, you know, the $30 million homes the high, or the $100 million homes and everything, the houses next to them that are the crap holes, the little tiny little huts, uh, mm-hmm. little bungalows that have like two rooms, they're over a million dollars themselves. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just incredibly crazy out there. And I, I was out there once for work and uh, was staying in a hotel that was right on the corner, right on the line of Beverly Hills and Hollywood. And you couldn't, you could see the difference. It just, just on that street from one side of the street to the other. Yeah, absolutely. And so, what the biggest reason is housing prices. And so, to expl- I'm not an economist. I'm just an idiot with a microphone that knows how to somehow get people to listen to them. And so, I do this show because I read very smart people and regurgitate what they've told me. Uh, so I, I am, but I am not an economist, but I do know a, a good economist and his name is Thomas Sowell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you're a big Thomas Sowell, Harry, uh, big fan. Mm-hmm. Any particular reason why? Um, well, I love his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he also made a piece of work, uh, a great book called black rednecks and, uh, white liberals, yeah. which is the book that I was seeking for, for that I didn't know existed my entire life. Yeah. And basically, it's talking about how poor whites in the South have the same culture as blacks mm-hmm. because they they were all lived existed in in the, the exact same spot in the yeah. same spot the same ecosystem the same economic sphere mm-hmm. and so we tend to think that all whites in the South were plantation owners but really it's why honestly you know being around Miss Pat talking mm-hmm. like I really connect with Miss Pat and I see a lot of white fans of of the Bob and Tom show for instance or Joe Rogan connect to Miss mm-hmm. Pat and it's because there is a similarity in culture as opposed to you know your more waspy bush like figures you yes. know because there's fluffy yeah well yeah because <laughs> right. you know that's just southern or um, southern culture right versus the when you, when a lot of people like, would they say that you know, you know, I'm very wise. Like, well, my family's mostly from New England. It's been New England for you know, hundred, yeah. you know, about a hundred years. So, I act more New England than anything. Yeah. So, he is a great economist. Basic economics is great. And in this uh, interview that he does, he works for the Hoover Institution. He's talking on uncommon knowledge with uh, Peter Robinson. 
and the video is titled Thomas Sowell and the Housing Boom and Bust. I will put it in the show notes. And he explains why housing prices in L.A. and California in general are so high. Segment one, the economics of the housing boom. I quote you to yourself, Tom, from the housing boom and bust. Quote, although the housing boom and bust has national repercussions, its origins tended to be concentrated in particular places. Explain that. Yes, most of the um, adventurous financing was uh, was in, concentrated in places like coastal California, uh, Phoenix, a uh, few places in Florida. Um, and this is where uh, the, the great bulk of the um, defaults and foreclosures occurred as well in, in, in later years. Uh, in fact, you can break it down even finer that uh, it's in particular counties in these states. So really a very small part of the United States generated uh, the delinquencies, the defaults, and the foreclosures, which then snowballed across the country through the financial system and even spread overseas. But the origins were in these extremely expensive areas uh, where the prices have been forced up artificially and where people in desperation had turned to all kinds of uh, creative financing, such as no money down, uh, you know, uh, adjustable rate mortgages, subprime mortgages, all sorts of gimmicks in order to buy a house to live in or, and this, is, this would be true of about a, oh, at least 20% of the people who bought houses during the boom, mm-hmm. as pure speculation. So that given the lax lending standards, a speculator could come in and buy four or five expensive houses with a relatively small amount of money down, uh, spruce them up, and sell them with a a very short time. Tom, you mentioned the phrase you used there just a moment ago, that the prices in these small number of housing markets, the prices had been driven artificially high. Yes, and I have to say, in reading the housing boom and bust, you and I both live in coastal California. Yes. And a lot of what you said cut pretty close to the bone here. You're ta- as you sit across the table from a man with a gigantic mortgage, why did those? Why were the housing prices artificially high in that handful of markets? Because uh, despite the abundance of land in California, laws prevented people from building on much of that land. Uh, made it prohibitively expensive on the rest of the land so that the housing um, prices were shot up primarily because the land on which the houses were built were tremendously expensive. So the whole open space movement. Oh, yes. And and I I lived in one of those houses on the Stanford campus, and I remember, uh, this shows how long ago it was, the house was $260,000. And uh, uh, I saw in my insurance that it was was, uh, insured for only $60,000. So that's the cost of replacing the house. The other two hundred grand was for the leasing of the land. I didn't even own the land. Uh, and so it's the land that, that, that is really the key to this, to this whole thing. That same house, incidentally, I'm told now, has sold for over a million dollars, uh, even though it's uh, less than 2,000 square feet. All right. You have the open space movement where we want a lot of land, we want a lot of open space for the you know Alaskan sea turtle and, and his friend mm-hmm. the troglodyte to like play together. And then what that does is by reserving all of that open space, you end up artificially inflating the land in places like LA, which drives up the value of the land. So your house that you're like, the house was worth $200,000 or $60,000, but the land it's on is worth a million. Uh, And and that is kind of like, uh, that's kind of everywhere. Like your house 
is really uh, if you're renting your land, basically <laughs> you you may pay for the house to be built, but the total appraised value of your home, your house isn't worth nearly as much as the land a lot of times. Yeah, generally. So, um, Reinhold, you disagree? No, I mean I try. I was just trying to think about my place, and I've got forty acres though, so I sure, mean, my land is going to be a lot, a lot more valuable, more valuable right. than the house, but it's about close the same so as we're as the you value- can always build houses they're not building land right yeah so you have you have kind of a perfect storm of of a lot of things first is the since the 1970s the growth of housing prices and so you you end up in la with a situation where housing gets more and more expensive and so services keep expanding because they keep taxing on services and then taxes must be raised because we need to pay for the services and then everybody starts going you're strangling me i'm leaving and what you end up with is the middle class exiting la and then the rich are fine and then you have a a tremendous amount of immigrants the poorest rung of society basically coming into the county. Mm-hmm. And so your population isn't really changing. It's growing a little bit, but it's being cut out of the middle and they're fleeing to other states. And so that leaves less job creators. That leaves less taxpayers. That leaves more people trying to use uh, services. You're adding more services. And you end up with a situ- situation like LA where things become more expensive. Services become harder to, cu- to come by. And, and it, has everything to do with the basically the amount of revenue that is being taken from uh, taxpayers mm-hmm. and also a lot of regulation. Yeah. That's the other thing is the regulation that's there that you there was a, a, a person who was wanting to build some low income housing in LA and he had the land he bought the land and he wanted to get the uh, the permits and everything else to to actually do what he was intending to do. And he spent three years going through all of the tape and trying to all the hoops and the costs and everything else of trying to get all that. He finally just threw his hands up in the air and quit. Right. Walked away. Yeah. I was trying to look for like this uh, same, I think it was maybe the same story Ryan was talking about. It was in reason where guy did, he bought like bought a shop and then he wanted just to build up. Mm-hmm. You know, because you couldn't go sideways, and he was hampered by b- trying to build up because he had to get a shadow study done, right? To find out who he was blanketing in shadow. It's like, oh, there's a school back here. He's possibly going to put this entire school playground in shadow, which he doesn't. But they still not nope, made him do the shadow study. Found a way to do it, and he kept going back and getting these permits. Yeah, yeah. But what happens if you shadow somebody who's doing uh, solar panels for their electricity? Now you've cut them off, and now they can't. You know, yeah. so that's it's all that stuff that they're trying to manage the outcomes of. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to make things equal or even, or just making sure to regulate interactions between individuals. They're wanting to a desired outcome to come out of it, and it's failing miserably to do mm-hmm. that. And the real thing that's failing is because I always tell most of the problems in the area is the capitalism problem. Mm-hmm. That they not that capitalism is running amok is that their capitalism is trying to fix it and they keep trying to subsidize the socialism and trying to make it make it work for them. Right, capitalism is telling them like all you people can't live here. You have to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it's and and it's California is the the, the physical state is a, you know basically attacking these people. It's like listen, this is a desert. Here's a drought. Right. Here's a drought. You have no more water. Your water bill is going to be out 
out astronomical because you shouldn't be living here in a desert living like you should. But yeah. you do. But people do. Green grass, people take a shower, there's pools everywhere. Right. You know? You know, and it's and it's a ridiculous notion that all these people should live in this desert. Because <laughs> <laughs> Because they're the the internet has made it so that you can live anywhere you want. Mm-hmm. All these jobs, everything that you do there can be done anywhere else. Right. You know, there's nothing that really happens there that doesn't have, that can't happen anywhere else. Well, the but weather, they force it to there. The weather and the, the topography is amazing. It's and, one and of the, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. I know, there's, yeah. some, there's something about watching the sun set over the ocean. Yeah. I mean, I've been on the East coast and I've seen it rise over the ocean, but it's just not the same as that feeling you get when you see it dipping down and, the air, the way the air feels. You walk out. I'd walk out from my hotel rooms to to go to my car. And it doesn't feel like I've left the building because yeah. it's just so perfect. It's, it's like San Diego's even San Diego. In my opinion, is better weather. But yeah, Palm Springs was like that. it's just like seventy and sunny all the time. I get that, <laughs> but at this exact same time, it's like all these people cannot be there, right? You know, well, and they're, and they're, well, they're all fleeing to Austin right now. So. Yeah, right. And they're for, yeah, but the the other thing is it's. I get it. I get it that it's beautiful. I get that. I see that. But that area can't handle that many people for if you're trying to subsidize everything else. Yeah. The You're lucky that you went and decided to do the rental car uh, instead of yeah. running the BART system. There was very little public transportation, which I found amazing. Yeah, San Francisco, is, they have the BART system, and it's you can't walk on that thing without seeing just discarded needles. Needles. Everywhere. Poop. You can watch watch videos and pictures now of people just walking in the street. They just stop, bend down, poop on the ground, and go and walk away. So I didn't didn't see any... Poop? Excuse me, I didn't see any poop, but I did. I saw poop. I, I tried to go. I, to, poop. I didn't get the chance to go to Skid Row, but I I found this. Um, basically, it's called "No Place to Go: An Audit of the Public Toilet Crisis on Skid Row," and it's basically a paper. Uh, well, we need a public toilet. It's uh, right. <laughs> One so, Republican mayor. Right. That's all they need. They just need Mike Pence to come in and watch. Basically, them. called you know, no place to go, and it's about Skid Row in L.A., which is just a permanent homeless camp, essentially. And they talk a lot about why there is a toilet crisis in, in a place like L.A. and what a problem. So your standard, basically, the U.N. Has, has, for refugees has basically said you should never be more than 50 feet uh, from a toilet, 20 people to a toilet. And during overnight hours, 9 to 6 a.m., there are only nine public toilets available for 1,700 unsheltered homeless people on Skid Row, and they're largely inaccessible. So that's... Um, 80 toilet they're short 80 toilets in the area um when the overnight occupants are released under the street um they're short 164 public toilets and 38 percent of audited toilets were not operating during supposedly open hours so this is government this is the the failure of government to actually provide any kind of services yes it is uh Here's the thing. I think a lot of people will go, well, a homeless person chooses to be homeless, and that's not the case because a lot of the people interviewed in this and in a lot of things that I read about the L.A. homeless crisis, these are people who had white-collar jobs, and they just had a bad divorce and ended up on the street, and then it spirals. 
mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think people realize how close when you live in a place like L.A., you're living paycheck to paycheck and then you have one bad life situation and you're homeless. And then from there, your life just kind of spirals and spirals and spirals. So like I, and as we heard, the housing crisis, for instance, is caused by the government and their policies, taxation. And so you have the human cost of public policy is basically that people, more people end up homeless, more people end up hungry, more people end up pooping on the streets. And then when you're at your most vulnerable stage, the government continues to fail you over and over and over. And so during overnight hours, the public toilets, they have automated public toilets that are powered down and inaccessible at night. Uh, When they're powered up, they're often obstructed or impossible to enter. Many of the public toilets lack any kind of stalls or doors that lock. Uh, They're infrequently maintained. Many are soiled with fecal matter and debris. Many public toilets require the user to request individual sheets of toilet paper from security guards. Uh, (laughs) No sinks, no paper towels, no toilet paper, no seat covers, no menstrual products. All lack a baby changing table. Toilets without attendance or some monitoring have the lowest use levels. Um, most toilets were ADA accessible and the exception are the portable toilets. Um, and the ones that do have security guards, women are generally too afraid to actually approach the security guards to use those toilets. And so this has actually a personal health there. There's consequences to this. So people suffer humiliation of having to urinate and defecate in the street, the sidewalk, a bucket or themselves. They do not have a place to wash their hands before eating food. So that causes more disease. People avoid taking medication with side effects that cause frequent urination or diarrhea. And people find it more difficult to get out of homelessness because they lack toilet access. It degrades their appearances, their appearance, their feelings of self-worth and their mental health. And it's harder to apply and get a job. Um, And so, you know, then they go on to kind of talk about solutions, which are the government needs to do more. The government needs to do more. And a place like L.A., what happens is you get... uh, a well-meaning paper like this and they go and they talk to the well-meaning politician and they say we have a well-meaning solution for this big crisis that we all have and so we need you to fund this that is a good idea let's fund this let's pass this and it becomes a mandate and they put a restriction on this and they put a, a tax for this and they require people to do this and they and the government starts dictating things and at the barrel of the gun you better obey or you're going to prison and so people end up getting totally constrained. I don't think like, I think the, the border, like the border situation is a great example. In short, Trump has changed the ways he's enforcing laws. He then, it says we're detaining more people. So what these detention centers were built to hold a hundred people. They're now holding 300 people. And then he sends out a tweet about Mexico and threatens tariffs. And that doubles the amount of people running towards the border. They're capturing more people. So now it's 500 people. And then the budget for the supplies in the detention center never changed. The security guards have no ability to buy more supplies. They have no authorization to do other things other than what they're told to do. And so you end up increasing the demand, but you never increase the supply because of bureau- bureaucratic interaction. And so that is the nightmare that is L.A. That is the nightmare that is relying on the government to do anything. Watch Chernobyl. 
you see the bureaucratic inaction and how the blame game ends up costing more people lives. They just deny that there's a problem or they appear to be doing something, yet they never do anything effectively because there's no more resources to get. And so well-meaning people like this, she's right. Those people do deserve a toilet. (laughs) Their lives would be better served if they had access to a public toilet. Mm -hmm. And so that's just one little piece of the entire picture of the life of the homeless crisis in L.A. And there's thousands of these little well-meaning things that we want the government to do on a daily basis and hundreds of laws that are passed by the L.A. City Council every year. And over time, it just leads to a completely intractable situation where your, your middle class who run the majority of the small businesses, which make up the majority of the middle-class jobs, leave. They go to Texas. Mm -hmm. And so there's less jobs. There's less housing. There's more homeless. There's less services for those homeless. And you end up with a nightmare that is L.A. So is this YouTube and Twitch, is that just subsidizing, uh, trying to subsidize middle-class people? Get them working. <laughs> what That's why all the YouTubers are in LA because it's the only jobs they can really get. That's right. why they hit it so hard in the pain. It's like, this is it. If I, if I can't do this, go to Texas. So let me give you a few but, facts. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, but the thing is, is like, yes, they deserve a toilet, but they can't, but not there. Uh, I totally agree with you. And the, and you're right. Like I'm over entertaining Reinhold with pictures of the Black Death because if they're pooping and stuff in the streets and the rats and the, and they're not washing their hands, this is how all these diseases spread. You've got all these people complaining about anti-vaxxers and how we don't want the measles and all these other drugs. But if you got all these people in in L.A. pooping on the streets with the mice a, a and their suburban, fleas, a suburban white child that is nine months old yeah. who never sees anybody mm-hmm. that's not your that's not going to put you at risk for measles yeah susan who's the anti-vaxxer at daycare is not your enemy it's the typhus spread by the fleas from yeah. the oncoming housing homeless crisis that that's where the danger lies so let me give you a few facts about la it's from 2015 but it's by hector tabar in the uh, new york times how los angeles be, is becoming a third world city he moved from a third world city and uh, he writes, um, let's see, sorry. Uh, the paradox of increasing homelessness and rising prosperity has finally gotten Los Angeles talking about inequality, but the gap between rich and poor has been building for 40 years, and every boom and bust simply accentuates the trend. Bill Boyarski, Bill Boyarski, <laughs> a retired city editor at the Los Angeles Times, dates the beginning of the decline of the industrial L.A. in the 70s. Quote, we lost a huge number of middle-class jobs. At the same time, the tax revolt led by the businessman and politician Howard Jarvis cut funding for public education. We ended up limiting the ability of kids to move ahead of their parents. Los Angeles still has a much larger middle class than your average developing world city. But privilege and inequality are spreading in all sorts of public places. Rich and poor have long suffered the freeway together. Porsches and pickups alike gridlocked. Now we have new toll roads. On some freeways, you can literally buy your way into the fast lane. Dodger Stadium used to be one of the city's most democratic entertainment venues. In 62, the most expensive seat was 550 about four times the price of a bleacher. Uh, now it's 30 times more expensive at $1,000. 30 years ago, a family of four at poverty level lived on about $10,000, about double the annual tuition of the city's top prep schools. The equivalent federal poverty line today, 24000 would barely cover two-thirds of this year's tuitions 
at schools like Harvard, Westlake, or Polytechnica in Pasadena. In the cities of the developing world, class differences this wide are fixed. Homelessness is a kind of caste, and the poor city dwellers live in permanent squatter communities. In Buenos Aires, where I once lived, their homes are often built with discarded bricks and tiles. L.A. doesn't have neighborhoods like that yet, but homelessness has become semi-permanent in many places. A decade ago, a man created a shelter under a bridge across the street from my in-laws in South Pasadena. A series of homeless people have occupied it ever since. Uh, so, you know, it, it kind of it shows you the amount of inequality. And I would love to get my cat off of my next article so I can read that. But there was another great article by Victor Davis Hansen, who, when it comes to foreign policy, I'm not much for. Uh, Reinhold, <laughs> you and I are probably not Victor Davis Hansen fans overall. Um, but he has written a stellar article on California and in its third and its first third world state. Um, and again, this is uh, from to June June seventeenth. This was actually um, a few days ago. Look at this, very timely. Um, third world is now an and basically he talks about a third world. Kind of it used to mean. In the Cold War, era, Cold War era, you had the first world, like us and the USSR, and then the second tier was kind of your developing nations or like a Germany who was a, a feeder state, and then there was the third world, the people who didn't have any attachment to either the US or the USSR, and they were always very poor because they weren't feeder states. Uh, so think Somalia, Venezuela, Cuba, or Libya. And so d- does, does LA really fit... Does California really fit the definition of a third world country? Um, I mean, I tend to think not yet, but I definitely think that it's heading in that direction. And then he kind of talks about some signs that I'll read in a moment. It looks like a duck. Well, (laughs) there's a lot of wealth in L.A. And there's a lot of opportunity in L.A., but it's not being achieved or... It's, realized right? right so it's it's not like like somalia or someplace like that where you have a couple of people who are like the warlords and they have all the money and all the wealth and idi amin that sort of thing but then and the people are poor it's more a case of a self-inflicted we have the haves we have the have-nots right right so i don't know if you could call it a third world but you can say it's not it's not second world so, either. So let's yeah. hear him out. Let's hear his argument. I won't read the whole article. I'll kind of give you some of the stats that I just were blown. I was blown away by a lot of these. Uh, and it's never ceasing. This is a six page, never ceasing parade of facts about how bad things are in California that blew my mind. Uh, so by, by many criteria, 21st century California is both the poorest and richest state. Almost a quarter of the population lives below the poverty line in California. Another fifth is categorized as near poverty level. Facts not true during the latter 20th century. So in the late 1900s, 1980, 1990, that wasn't true. It's, it's mat- rapidly increased in California, the amount of people below the poverty line or near it. A third of the nation's welfare recipients now live in California. The state has the highest homeless population in the nation, 135,000. About 22% of the nation's total homeless population resides in the state, whose economy is the largest in the United States, fueling the greatest numbers of American billionaires and high-income zip codes. 
By some indicators, the California middle class is shrinking because of massive regulation, high taxes, green zoning, and accompanying high housing prices. Out of migration from the state remains largely a phenomenon of the middle and upper class. Millions have left California in the last 30 years, replaced by indigent and often illegal immigrants, along with the young, affluent, and single. If someone predicted half a century ago that the LAPD police station, or indeed LA City Hall, would be in danger of periodic flea-borne infectious typhus outbreaks, he would have been considered unhinged. After all, the city that gave us the modern freeway system is not supposed to resemble Justinian's 6th century Constantinople. Yet typhus, along with outbreaks of infectious hepatitis A, are in the news on California streets. The sidewalks of the state's major cities are homes to piles of needles, feces, and refuge. Hygienists warn that permissive municipal governments are setting the stage through spiking populations of histories, banes of fleas, lice, and rats for possible dark age outbreaks of plagues or worse. Now, high tech doesn't do its part to clean the streets. It just creates apps telling you where the defecation piles are. Um, In California logic, public defecation butts up against progressive tolerance, so it is exempt from the law. Yet for a suburbanite to build a patio without a permit, for example, costs one dearly in fines. Indeed, a new patio without a permit can be deemed more dangerous to the public health than piles of excrement in a public workplace. One out of three Californians who enter a hospital for any cause is now found to be suffering from either diabetes or prediabetes, an epidemic that hits the Hispanic community especially hard, but for a variety of reasons has not led to effective public health efforts and sufficient publicity. State-run dialysis clinics now dot the towns and communities of the Central Valley, a tragic symptom of dietary culture, massive illegal immigration, and poor public health education. Uh, So now on to infrastructure. California's transportation system, to be honest, remains in near ruins. Despite the highest gas taxes in the nation, none of its major trans-state freeways, not the 99, the I-5, not 101 after 70 years of use, are yet completed with six lanes resulting in dangerous bottlenecks. Um, So he says driving 99 south of Vesalia uh, or five north of Colinga is right out of Road Warrior, <laughs> but not as dangerous as the fossilized two-line feeder um, in 152. Uh, so he then goes on to talk about the high read. Uh, now, meanwhile, the concrete carcass of the recently canceled multi-billion dollar high-speed rail system dots the skyline over Fresno. <laughs> Bureaucrats now insist that more billions must be spent to ensure that a short segment of a l- the least traveled route will be finished. Though they obviously do not anticipate spurring a new tourist or commercial corridor between Merced and Bakersfield, which is just kind of north and no man's land between L.A. and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. High-speed rail gurus insist on salvaging something of the boondoggle, not because they have an economic rationale justifying more dollars, they would just, um, which would be far better invested in improving freeways, airports, and rails, but largely out of pride and shame that this didn't work. In 1973, when I first visited and lived in Greece, the roads were medieval. The old Helen Con airport, I need a Greek around, airport was dysfunctional, if not creepy. Highway rest stops were filthy. I've lived in or visited Greece in the ensuing 45 years, including occasionally after the 2008 meltdown. And yet today, the freeways, chief airport, and rest stops of poor Greece are in far better shape than they are in California. 
LAX's poor road access, traffic, uncleanliness, crowds, and chaos seems more pre-modern compared with the current Athenian airport. It's an eerie experience to see America's once premier state, currently at its supposed acme, now resemble Greece of the colonials a half a century ago. Um, power outages are characteristic of third world countries. Here in California, we are advised to brace for lots of them. Given that our antiquated grid apparently contributes to the brush fires on hot days, as a native, I do not remember a single instance of our 20th century state utilities shutting down service in the manner that they now routinely promise. Crime has increased in the last three years. It is an epidemic in local jails. San Francisco has the highest property crime rate per capita of any major city. The California prison system is a mess, and sanctuary cities ensure that illegal aliens charged with crimes will not be deported. Pick up a McClatchy newspaper, and you'll see the day's fear of Central Valley criminality, even after sanitation and editorialization, is mind-boggling. Now, California's cycle of wet boom years and dry bust years continue to because the state refuses to build three or four additional large reservoirs that have been planned for more than half a century. And that would store enough water to keep California functional through even the worst drought. The rationale isn't either that it is more sophisticated to allow millions of acres of feet of melted snow to run into the sea or it is better to uh, have a high-speed rail line from Merced to Bakersfield than an additional 10 million acre feet of water storage or droughts. Basically, he's saying they have no good argument for this. Yeah. <laughs> 27% of Californians were not born in the U.S., a large minority of them residing in the United States legally. Yet California's universities, pop culture, are forefront of the salad bowl and identity politics policies that obstruct assimilation, integration, and intermarriage the historical remedies for the natural tensions that arise within multiracial and multi-ethnic societies. So he's saying basically that um, integration, assimilation, and intermarriage heal a lot of those tensions and politicians are essentially, essentially exploiting classes to continue uh, through government policy. Um, yet again... Uh, California schools are usually in the bottom decile of national rankings. No one in polite conversation asks why that is, given that the state's K-12 through schools used to be among the most competitive in the U.S. Yet again, in medieval fashion, the professional schools and science of technology of California's premier research universities are among the highest rated in the world. Um, it, but yet, many of the people that attend these universities do not send their kids to public, elementary, or high school. Um, the California's DNV is terrible. And basically, uh, <laughs> he goes on to talk about how bad the DMV. I don't need to belabor how bad the DMV is. Um, but the scandals in the DMV are multifarious. Thousands of motor vehicle registrations sent to the wrong people, including illegal aliens supposedly ineligible to vote, corrupt employees who sell commercial truck licenses, and private corporations who occasionally, in, in, uh, occasionally sell hard data reservations and appointments. Basically, people are trying to do a concierge service for the D- for the DMV. <laughs> um, California now has the highest tax, highest basket of sales, gas, and income taxes. With a state surplus and a slowing economy, one would think that the legislature and governor would pause before even considering more taxes. After all, a new federal tax law right, limits write-offs of state and local taxes to $10,000. Uh, which rapidly has spiked their taxes in these blue states. 
Yet the rule in California is to punish the upper middle class while pandering to the rich and romanticizing the poor. They're now considering new punitive inheritance taxes and an imposed internet sales tax. Um, it just imposed the sales tax. So you basically, if you die, whatever they didn't tax, you can't leave the fruit of your labors to your children. Um, California's apocalyptic present has created an alternative universe and good third world style of pay for play services. To avoid the emergency room, the last time I used one, two gangs squared off in the waiting room to continue what their wounded members were under treatment for, (laughs) progressive Californians often paid for concierge medicine and anything private to avoid at all costs the state services. The coastal corridor elite often put their kids in Tony Prep schools that have sprung up or vastly expanded. In the fashion of the 60s, white southern academics... Uh, academies that were designed to circumvent federal desegregation edicts, elite progressives mimic these uh, old-style segregationists and send their kids to green and multicultural schools, but never actually send them where it might be diverse. Um, In fact, um, Jerry Brown, Dianne Feinstein, uh, Nancy Pelosi all live in the upper-income areas of California amongst the mega-rich, and they never drive the same streets. They never go to the same hospitals. They don't use the same service that your average middle-class person uses. And therefore, no changes ever actually happen. So I think he makes a compelling case. You see a lot of societal rot in terms of um, government policies leading to a society that is crumbling. And when you when you kind of look through all of these different facts, you go... There's a lot here that shows that there's some real big problems. And I think it's clear what the root of the problem is. I mean, blaming capitalism seems sort of, uh, yes, blaming capitalism as Reinhold might do uh, seems sort of counterintuitive. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Dennis. (laughs) So, I mean, when you hear some of that stuff, what do you guys think? I had a small problem with the article because I think they kept trying to, he he keeps trying to throw immigration under the bus as far as, as the reasons yeah. but um really the the real problem there is if they would let those people be open and let them come in and work mm-hmm. it might help improve and build up a, a middle class that's uh fleeing well right? the problem is the state but they can't do that but the state welfare system it is illegal for for uh, an immigrant for five years to get. You have to be a naturalized citizen for five years to access federal, he- federal welfare. Right, but you can get city and state welfare, and yeah. that's why and that's a decision they've made. Right, yeah. and that's why California is so attractive is because and that's why they have so much of the influx of population there is because well, people and, are going and there for also, welfare services. But it's also they they treat people they they treat the immigrants coming in there as human beings and not. You know the the reason for their failures or the taking their jobs or whatever they they actually right. treat them somewhat respectfully. So that's where they're going to want to go. Stealing but, by stealing from productive members of society. And no, giving them- I mean, but but how, the illegal aliens. I mean, the illegal people are getting are working and I, have to pay taxes. I, they're paying I, I, I get, I get what you mean. Yes, yeah. I get what you mean. They're, but no, but that, they're I mean, not that's, looking at that. That's as part of it. Like enemies, I said, it, it's right. part of it. Not because of the fact that there's immigrants there. It's because they're not. They're trying to uh, come up with an outcome, and they're trying to manipulate things, and they're trying to do all these things in government wise. I mean, look at all of the different rules that come out of government that we have to deal with 
across the country because of California. Yeah, uh, mileage laws and and what we do with um, you know what cars can have. I mean that that's all emission because of standards. Yeah, emission standards from from California. Uh, everything if you look at just about any product and you and you see some warning about PCBs or uh, cancer causing or something like that, it's because somebody in California trading themselves a job in some sort in government has decided that this is what should be on there and, and businesses want to do business with California. So you yeah. just put it on everything. So now we all have to deal with the in the insanity that's out there. And it's mostly just because so many people are working for the government and just trying to keep themselves employed by just busy work. Right. Mm. I, I would say this, uh, the company uh, I work for, we have a, uh, employees and stuff like that in california and it is the worst place to try to do with like if something happens right and they call you and they try to use their cell phone you've got to get them to stop because the moment they start using their cell phone and because of california the laws are i've got to pay the bill even though i didn't tell them to use their phone i gave them something else you know but that breaks they break down and use use their phone guess what we're paying that freaking bill and it's like oh no no, I'm not paying that. I didn't ask you to use that. There's something perfectly fine at your desk. Go use that. Well, I don't want it. It's just like, doesn't matter. So here's the thing. Is That's I, what I'm paying for. I adore L.A. and the fact of the the climate, the the feeling, the beauty of it. Uh, Santa Barbara, beautiful. You go, I, I drove from San Francisco, almost San Francisco, down that coastal highway all the way mm-hmm. to L.A. And it was just... It was just hours of just beautiful area. I stopped at San Simeon, got to check out the Hearst Castle. Um, I fell in love with Big Sur, driving through Big Sur. It's mm-hmm. just it's beautiful. Um, so I have an affinity for wanting to live there, but there's no way I would move there because the people are crazy. Mm-hmm. It's way too expensive. So why would I do that to myself? I can... I can yeah. live here and 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 put a lot more money away and have more stuff than I could if for what I pay in a for for a house in forty acres here, I could not buy a house there. Yeah, but how much was your mule? <laughs> well, you, the mule comes with it. So yeah. I had family members who very well off lost a house in California. It was, you know, like a couple thousand square feet. It was like $2 million. They moved, they moved here. Yeah, they moved here and they buy a house. No, it was $6 million for like 3,000 square feet. They move here on Geist, which is one of the swankiest areas of town, right on a reservoir, and they get a million-dollar home, and they get like 13,000 square feet, like or something crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the cost of living in California, everything was 50 – like if you went to the gas station to get a bottle of water, it was $4. It wasn't $2 or $1.22 like it is here. And a lot of that's tax. Yeah. It is. It, yeah. It's, it's and artificially the, inflated. And the, and, the, and the artificially inflated tax of the gas – Mm-hmm. which they're doing partially just to get people not to use the gas, um, that gets that gets added into all the different products and services that people have to use to transport those goods and services around. So they have to have to pay the gas. Yeah, so right. it's increased this cost. It's increased that cost. It's just a blooming effect when you try to do stuff like that. Gas was $4.60. Uh, fast food meal cost about $10.00. Mm-hmm. You know, here gas is like three twenty, and then a fast food meal is like and seven twenty. You're that, not even shopping around for three twenty. The minimum <laughs> wage in California should probably be fifteen twenty dollars, and it mm-hmm. probably is for a lot of people working there. But 
when you try to make it a national thing, mm-hmm. and that, and that's the real problem is that they're trying to national this stuff. Mm-hmm. Fifteen dollars an hour here is pretty good for a lot of people. Sure. You know, can I mean, make, it can you it just doesn't being work. That, it's getting fifteen dollars an hour, like living in like Shelbyville or something like that. Oh, when I was I when you, I was you can trying raise, to go to college, I was working for the. Uh, the post office sorting center is a second job at night, and I was I was getting twelve dollars an hour, and it was amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Super rich, yeah, yeah. So, I I think a lot of this stuff is well intentioned, like the homeless yes. thing with the bathrooms. Yeah. It's just that when you look to the government to solve every problem and control every behavior and try to use the force of government to create outcomes. It just leads to failure and people getting hurt. And, right. it, and it subjects all those decisions, not to just what's the best thing to have happen, but politics then comes into a play. Yes. And then it's Correct. about who is going to get the power, who's going to get the recognition, who's going to gain this and gain that. And what, what group are we going to yeah, pay? It, it, what, it, what, what group are we going to bonus with this contract? So from a utilitarian point of view, if you're looking at, is this policy good because we're looking at the outcome? What is the outcome of things? There, there never seems to be a recognition that in California that what we're doing is not working. Mm-hmm. All of these trends are going the wrong way. What's the common denominator? They blame capitalism or something abstract or right. wealth inequality. Well, they're, they're but they never, they never yeah. go, how is that wealth inequality constructed and what decisions did we make? They, it, you heard it in that one article in the New York Times. They blamed it on the, on the low tax guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Which is like. Honestly, the main thing that could probably solve most of California's problems is to get someone from the forestry, forestry right. they, and let them run and go like, all right, just like a bear, you give a bear food, shelter, all this stuff, they're going to stay around here. So the yeah. first thing I'm going to do is cut the bear's food supply off. Teach that bear, go back in the wild, fend for himself. Uh, if you've listened to our wildfire episode where I detailed the problem with wildfires and how they're created basically by government policy, mm-hmm. uh, you don't want somebody from the forestry <laughs> running. I'm, you basically have somebody maybe, from the forestry maybe running. Maybe that's, and that's, that's a perfect forestry. example, too, yeah. is that people who understand how forests work try to tell these these people, no, you should do it this way. And they don't listen to them because the government gets politics involved. Right. And they say, mm-hmm. no, we have to make it this and this and this because of politics reasons. And, and they make the bad decisions, and it causes problems it's constantly. So you're right. If the if California would just built suburbs and towns and all these concrete jungles, forest fires just no, yeah. just stops because can't cause the highway. <laughs> Six mile just high, parking yeah. lot, the whole place, right? right, right. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's well, start. Go ahead, Harry. Last point, and then we'll start wrapping up. Oh, I was gonna go into a tangent about Elon Musk's stupid tunnel and all this like making it but it's you like, okay you don't like the zephyr i don't i'm not a huge fan of elon musk i hear it's I think 10 he's trains right now oh ten, yeah 10 cars they've it's, added one yes oh, that's great yeah. that's awesome <laughs> uh, very few people got that joke <laughs> um all right let's let's give our final thoughts for this uh go ahead let's start with the reinhold all right so like i said i think the real problem is is that la is beautiful that area is wonderful to live in except for all the people and all of the government and all of the rules and all the regulations and everything crushing the soul out of this, the area. Right. Right. So um, it's, it's unfortunate, but because it's such an attractive place to live, people are going and flocking there. And the, the crushingness of, of the government there is causing the people who are most productive in their society, keep the society running to flee 
and it's going to collapse in on itself, and they can't figure it out. I don't understand why they can't see this and take a step back and say maybe it's not. Maybe it's us. Yeah, maybe, maybe less not, government. It's not, not you, it's me. It's, we're not doing enough. We're not right. doing this. We're not doing that. We're not making this happen. We're not making that happen. You can't make things happen. Sometimes things have to happen organically for them to have any real lasting effect. And they're not allowing any of that to happen. Yeah. And it's just ironic knowing that the the northern part of the state is actually really mm-hmm. conservative. Uh, Ronald Reagan was the governor at one point. Yeah. Uh, Schwarzenegger was the governor not too long ago. I, I mean, Nixon, it's, Nixon, sixty eight yeah. to seventy two, and then Reagan. I mean, they were the Republican Party in California was very strong. Right. And they made a lot it's of errors. Just L A is so dense. I I I think <laughs> they need the electoral college. <laughs> well, here's here's part of the census question. So if if you may have heard about the census. And they want to put a, a citizenship question on the census. Yeah. yeah, well, and so, and if you've, you've read more about it, but as I understand it, if you were to put a citizenship question on the census and people answered honestly, because it's a sworn affidavit, I think, that they're citizens or not, and then you basically say, we're going to reapportion the House and electoral votes based on legal citizens and not population, then you'd lose a bunch of seats in all these blue states and blue cities. It'd also be unconstitutional. But yeah, I would have to ask them to define citizen, because uh, I would probably mark that. We haven't defined citizen? The, the Constitution is not, the census is not about who's a citizen, it's about who is living in the area. Okay. It has nothing to do with citizenship. Right. So, I mean, at the time... So you'd have to pass a constitutional amendment yes. to redefine, and which you'd never get through, because... Right, right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I gotcha. Um, and so that's why Republicans want this, is because they don't want the... You're... Get, you're you're giving California, for instance, all this extra power because of illegal citizens. But as you just pointed out, it's human bodies in the area, not citizens. Yeah, it's, right. about, it's about who is supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to have a representative. So the people there, should, figuring out how many representatives you get is how many people you're representing is nothing to do with. I mean, at the time the Constitution was written, only white men, la- landowners could be citizens. Right. They counted everybody. That's why they had the three-fifths rule for the black people Sorry, from right. the slavery slaves because they it, people say, well, we're, they're, they're trying to say that, that – Slaves were only three fifths of a human, and that's not what they were doing. They were trying to cut back the power that the plantation owners and the mm-hmm. slave owners would get right. if they were counted as a full person. Hmm. So it was an accounting trick, and it doesn't say anything about the the humanity of it. It just says this is how we're going to do this to make sure that those people are not as powerful. Uh, in the new government. It was, a, it was a balance that they did. So, I mean, it was always about people living in an area. There was no such thing as illegal people, illegal right. immigration. There was no such thing about um, it being about citizenship because citizenship was very limited at the time. So Well, now you don't have to do that daily because you just screech about it. For oh, no. I, there's so, so much more just, yeah, I can talk about. <laughs> there's so much more of it. and Because that's why that's another reason I said, please define citizen. Right. Please define it. Because the way it gets to define it, the way you know, just to find the term. Second is like then devil's advocate. Then can you count illegals as three fifths? Then can you get that passed? 
that might be able to get past. Yeah. The other thing with I'll it let, is, I'll let you, you, say, I'll let you suggest that. Optional, <laughs> optional. No, Harry, Harry, I'll let you suggest that because Reinhold and I are not taking that one. That one's on, on you. Just take find, find Joe Ruiz and we'll have Joe do that one. <laughs> the, um, I don't know, that's what it was like. The thing is, this is not the first yeah, time. Yeah, because you had a bad idea and it pushed all the good ones right out of your head. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first time someone has put something controversial on the census yeah. or put optional questions on there. Like there was one one about dick size and your and your votes, the amount of votes you powered up if you were over six inches. And how many? That's 1973. I've filled out several censuses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot. How many a- uh, questions do you think I answer on mine? Uh, one. Yep. I'm here. How many people live at this address? That is answered. Yeah. Everything else is left blank. I send it back in. I've never been called on it. It's technically I'm supposed to by mm-hmm. law. There's all these rules and regulations, and I'm supposed to fill out and answer all this stuff. I'm like, nope. The Constitution says it's about how many people live in an area. There's no reason because I have Fourth, Fifth Amendment rights. About mm-hmm. being secure in my papers and yeah. my my privacy, you don't need this information. You have to prove that you need this information in order to get it, and you can't do that. Yeah. Correct, and that's all right. I don't want to like, and that's the thing now I want I don't you to, have to do. The day. <laughs> no, you still got to do the daily because I want you to go down the hypothetical holes. Like, okay, what if they just added an addendum or just added a sheet of paper? Oh yeah, here's the first. We're going to present you with this. Then here's just you know. They could just do that too. That's also perfect. Well, they can add all kinds of things yeah. to the census, but yeah. they can add. But hey, no, no, no. I'm sorry, I'll stop the uh, wrap up derail. Final, final thoughts, Harry. Except for like this, like, this area of the episode. Oh, what time is it? Oh, crap. We're we're doing like an hour and twenty minutes right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I, I, I'm I as I was peeing because I just went to pee. I'm like, you know what? We ought to do. We ought to do like an hour. And then put the other hour behind the paywall, <laughs> like so because that's when we get a little giddy. People get well, people get freaked out by the time. That's true. And then when we get to some of these details, we're like, I'm reading stuff. Mm-hmm. That's for the real nerds. Like, yeah. put that behind the paywall. Yeah, you know what be, I mean? Like, yeah, they, so get, that may be what we what get we do, the but, nerds, right? Uh, I'll let you, I'll let you edit all that. Yeah, California. Yeah, <laughs> welcome uh, to my life. <laughs> California's a third world country. I don't, uh, at least the southern part of it. I can like I, that's why I can sympathize with the people from the northern California wanting to break away from the bottom half. Yeah, it is. It and the people there are all they don't. It's a, their minds are drugged down by the gravitational pull of all the poop in that area and they can't think straight they have poop-minded ideas and they're just pulled down by it i enjoy the company of a lot of our california people but i sat and had lunch with one of them right and they were complaining about how some of their friends were going to become millionaires because some of the companies were going ipo and i simply showed her how she could become a millionaire working for the making the exact how much money she has if she just moved to indiana took what she was getting taxed up and just threw it in a 401k just never touched it right and i was like you will be a millionaire you will be one just leave, you know, and just take what you were being taxed. Never touch that, and just throw that. Just throw that in a crappy four hundred one k. Just the crappiest one you can find. You'll still be a millionaire. Well, you well, seem very. Passionate. I've always kind of said that where people live and the climate that they live in does dictate a lot about their personality and and how they see life. Because mm-hmm. you think about 
northerners very fast talking because it's cold and they have to try and keep going and just keep busy. And 66 and degrees. You talk, and then you talk to people in Louisiana and Alabama and they're like so just relaxed and calm and slow. And it's like that with California. I mean, it's such you, you get into a mindset out there because of the climate that you almost feel like you're in a different world. Yeah. And I think people start to buy into it. You live there long enough, you start mm-hmm. to kind of just island yourself into this weird mindset. The it's sixty six degrees in the studio. Um, it's it's freezing in here. I've been freezing the whole episode. Please send blankets. You know what? I love the, it. You, great. You, and, take the next month off and uh, <laughs> tired of your sass. And the the last thing I want to do is uh, I like to issue a, a public apology apology to uh, Lou. Um, sorry, I thought he had to apologize to you. Yeah, but I felt bad. I um, I criticized some a way another man smoked on his grill, which is not good. I should have did it in a more private venue <laughs> instead of in front of people. Did you question I, his manhood. Was, I didn't question his manhood. I was like, no, you I, did. I thought his rub was pretty good, but I was. You just, question a man's rub, you question his manhood. I didn't question his rub. I questioned his ribs. Okay. Wow. All right. All right. That is, you know, and I just want to say I'm sorry. I should have brutal, that brutal meat a, judgment happening at Midwest yeah, Liberty Fest. Yeah, I, br- I brutally meet. Yeah, and I brutally meet Judge Lou, and I shouldn't have done that. I should have did that in a more private venue. And I, you know, <laughs> I public apology saying sorry. That's very nice of you. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know that I have a lot more to add than what they just said, but yeah, I think I think liberals and conservatives both would do, a, uh, and libertarians too. I think. Uh, we don't do a great job of articulating um, sort of the utilitarian view, which is, look at the results. It's like whenever somebody says to me, well, in a libertarian society, you'd have X, Y, and Z. Well, look at the warlords that would take over. I mean, oh, like John Bolton, who's already in charge, but now he has a military behind him that's a standing army. Like, I think a lot of this stuff that you, you the, the people concoct out of fear for what a libertarian society might look like has already happened, but it's ten times worse because the force is centralized behind a big, massive central government. Mm-hmm. And so I think you just have to start pointing out, like, look at the costs. Like, look at, you know, like with the child separation stuff at the border, this is the end result of Trumpian immigration policy. Are you okay with it? Like, if if you tell me that you're just a sociopath and you're okay with children dying from flea ridden bed bedding like all right i can just write you off as a barbarian but like if you're not okay with that then you need to reconcile the fact that this is the end result of closed borders like this is what closed borders look like and it's just as taxation for instance is a blockage in the free flow of capital an asset for building a business immigration is is a block in the free flow of labor another asset so and when you start blocking that, when you start damning that, there there are consequences to it. And blocking um, the consequences of robbing a society of its monetary resources and importing too much labor in California is is rob is absolutely destroying that society. By the same token, it's when you don't have enough labor to actually you stall growth. So so I just I think you have to look at this stuff and you have to go like. Why do you guys think this is a good idea? Look at the results. Like, 
the results are clear. Data is usually you can kind of get at the truth and get at the, at the data and understand what's going on. So that's what I would do. Uh, please join us, join our Patreon. We are going to talk a little bit about what it's like to be behind the scenes of Joe Rogan. And then we'll talk about uh, Harry's experience at Midwest Liberty Fest. So check that out. That will be our bonus episode this week. Thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of We Are Libertarians. And we will talk to you next week.